Hello, hello, hello. Good afternoon, good evening, good morning. You're tuned in listening to Cinematic Odyssey here on United to the Moose. Thank you, everybody, uh, for being patient. Um, I know we haven't posted anything in the past couple of weeks. It's been pretty busy for me, at least. I don't know about you, Max, but I know for me it's been very busy with the holidays, the holiday season. But now that's over, we can get back to our regularly scheduled program. I know we're a bit behind. I mean, there was a couple of films that we planned on watching that we couldn't we couldn't fit in, unfortunately, but we'll we'll bring that back and we'll get back on track with those. But today um you know, we're going to do our yearly tradition even though we've only done it for one year. This is our second year. <laughs> is our uh year in review. And also what's different about this year too is that We've actually had an entire calendar year to watch what we have. Well, we've seen a lot of things together um, in terms of, well, we've watched the same things um, oh, yeah. over the course of the year. Rather than last year, we only had like since October, we only had a few months of things that we both watched together. Um, so this time around, we'll have, we'll have a bigger catalog to choose from. But I mean, in terms of uh, how we're going to tackle this today, um, we're going to go through our bottom five and then our top 15. And we're going to go through like our first watches. So stuff we had seen for the first time uh, this year. And uh, and also, I mean, also talk about some of the films that just released in 2023. Because there's going to be films that I, I do want to mention and talk about that we didn't get the chance to talk about at all this year. Mm -hmm. um, and kind of, you know, do a little glossary kind of review, I guess, of, of the, some of those some of those films. But yeah. Absolutely. You want to start? I'd love to start. Right. So, bottom five. Uh, do you want to go, well, let's alternate. Okay. Do you want to do that? Yeah. We so, honorable mention, and just a fun fact with my bottom, only one movie, well, technically two, but only one movie was in consideration for the bottom five list uh, that we actually talked about and did an episode on mm. of this podcast. So, pretty good, pretty good year, I guess we'll say, of, of stuff uh, for the, for, for, uh, you know, content that we've been consuming. But uh, honorable mentions to movies that weren't quite there to make this list include Fool's Paradise, Charlie Day's directorial debut from this year, uh, Napoleon, Ridley Scott's uh, attempt at wow. a historical epic, uh, Ridicule, which is a movie I watched in preparation for a play I was in. It's French. It's basically just a bunch of rich people insulting each other. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's near the bottom. Uh, and then I didn't count Fateful Findings by Neil Breen because I didn't feel as though... I wanted it to be a competitive bottom instead of just having that be the de facto worst. But my fifth worst of the year is the podcast episode, The Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Robert Ford. Wow! I, 
<laughs> fifth word. I, you know, I That's was very top-heavy. I was very top-heavy. It, I, it, I, I said a lot of mean things on the episode <laughs> we did on this back in, like, April, and I mean every word. It's like oh, watching a book. Lord. There is, there is nothing positive I can, I mean, there's some positive I can say, but I, none of it comes back to the film. That's, that's my fifth worst. <laughs> Dang. Dang. Well, um, with that said, that's a crazy take. I mean, I still, I still, I mean, it's still crazy. Crazy take. Um, just for the record. But anyways, my, my bottom, my, my number five. I don't have any honorable mentions. Um, but with the number five pick... It's a little, I mean, it could go either way because one of them is a feature feature film, feature-length film. The other one's like a, a, a docu-series on HBO Max. Um, but I'll just mention both of them because they were both meh. Uh, the, the film was Avatar The Way of Water. I saw that in January. Wasn't that in, impressed by it. I mean, the visuals, yeah, look cool, but the story, eh. Characters, eh. The the conflicts, eh. You know, I mean, it just wasn't that interesting. Um, I mean, James Cameron, like I've said on this podcast before, I don't know what he's doing. He, I mean, what are you doing, bro? Um, the docu-series was, uh, called Love Has Won, The Cult of Mother God. Oh. Um, <laughs> it's about this, <laughs> about this, uh, woman who did ecstasy once in her 20s and was like, all right, I'm gonna start a cult. I'm gonna pretend that I'm God, but, like, the mother version of God. And then, yeah, then she died. She had, like, uh, a, a father god husband a like a galactic god father god husband um yeah and she drank a bunch of like colloidal silver so much so that her skin turned blue um she was a raging alcoholic and claimed to be the messiah and yeah very odd you know Basically, the gist of that film is if you're white, you're from the Midwest, and you're bored, and you do drugs, that's what happens. Um, so yeah, don't if you fall under any of those categories, don't do drugs. Just don't do drugs. That's that's all I gotta say. Oh, oh, and I forgot to mention, she abandoned her two children. She abandoned them. She abandoned her two biological children. Oh my god. Yeah. Yeah, so there's my number five pick, one or the other. I'll say Avatar, because it's a film. I just, I want you to know that starting that out with, it's about this 20-something-year-old woman who does ecstasy. Just starting out with that A-plus beginning just gets worse <laughs> from there. But, you know, I think we're sticking, yeah, sticking on the topic of blue people underwater, uh, <laughs> my fourth... My fourth worst uh, is Black Panther: Wakanda Forever. Ah, uh, I I watched this 
in Oscar prep solely for Angela Bassett. And she was good. She was really good. Yeah. That was it. That was really it. But uh <laughs> there the conflict was not a conflict. The the bad guys supposedly were not really that bad. They're like, you know, if you attack us, it will be seen as an act of war, and then they go out and attack other people, which is like, come on. It it just didn't really feel well thought out. It felt like I was kind of just like The story was not there. I was kind of, I was not satisfied. I was not pleased. And I I think they were trying to, uh, I don't know if it was do too much or do too little, but it didn't work for me. I see, I see. All right. You're going to love this one. You're going to love this one. Oh, I know. I already looked at this. Oh, he already saw the list. Yeah, I, got, for yourself. I did. I have the comeback. Uh, <laughs> yes. My fourth worst film that I saw this year was Coda. You know, for those that listened to that episode earlier in the year, you already know how I feel about it. Goofy all Disney Channel original movie. <laughs> um... Yeah, I don't know. Again, I mean, I just I wasn't that compelled by the way that the film decided to tackle um, deaf people and like the deaf person experience because it wasn't really about a deaf person. It was more so about person who has relatives that are deaf. And I felt like the film could have been more interesting if it was actually about deaf people. But you know, whatever. I know what the I know what the film is called. It's called Coda, Children of Deaf Adults. Yes, I understand. But still I I just didn't I just didn't vibe with it. That's very sad. Considering it yeah. was uh my best movie of last year. Yeah, uh, I know. You know, yeah. it is what it is. That's what it is. It is what it is. And you know, I just want to say, Tristan, I feel like you're just... I've said this before. Your biggest problem with that movie is that it wasn't a different movie. <laughs> I mean, it's not any problem with it itself. The premise, the premise of the film is not interesting to me. It's just not. Fair. It's just Okay, not, maybe it's, maybe it's my, the performer it's in me. Might be, might be just the performer in me. Okay. I mean... I did kind of have to scrape up uh, at the top to try and fu- round out the list. The bottom three that I have are a definitive bottom three. Oh my god, I can't believe I punished myself by sitting through some of this stuff. Um, third on my list of bottom five that I saw for the first time this year... Minions, The Rise of Gru. <laughs> I thought one night... In, I did. One night in wow. June, I was alone in Morgantown, and I thought, you know, it, here's a fun thing that I'll do. I'll just watch this movie and knock it off the, the watch list in Netflix, because I heard a lot of really good things about it. No. It was punishment. It was 45 minutes. Uh, it's 90 minutes. Like... 
A third of that is just listening to the minions talk. And I don't know if you know the minions. They don't speak English. They make sounds. This awful amalgamation of Spanish, French, German, and mouth sounds. It was painful. The soundtrack carried. But the soundtrack it was not any part of the story or movie. And I feel, I feel worse for having sat through that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know why I watched it, but hey. it is what it is. <laughs> you subjected yourself to that. <laughs> yeah, that's on me, I guess. Oh. Um, all right. Let's see. My number three for me. Um, this will come to a shock, I think, to many people that know about this film or have seen it. Um, but it's, this is Leon. Leon the Professional from Luc Bresson, I think is his name. Uh, the reason it's so low is due, due to a multitude of reasons. I mean, the film itself is okay. I mean, it's that's like a fun little action drama um, with an interesting premise. However, its execution is kind of falls flat, and the characters are, you know, not not too interesting. I mean, obviously, I think it's it's most famous for um, Natalie Portman's first. I think it's her debut. I believe. Um, she was, I think, twelve or thirteen when this when this was shot, um, but this is where this is why it's so. Well, this is why it happens to be so low is because Luc Besson, the director writer, he uh, he took inspiration from his own life of this film, in in a, such a way that the little girl. Um, that is played by Natalie Portman. I believe Luke... I'm a little muddy on the details here, but I think Luke... Um, like, had a similar experience with the little girl that is kind of shown in the film. Or not shown in the film. Um, but also, too, she's, like, hypersexualized in the movie, which is very, very weird. Um, the way that she's like shot and stuff and the things that she does in the film is just like, okay, what's going on here? Um, I, there's, there's reviews on Letterboxd that, that go into depth about what Luke, how Luke kind of derived his own life experience into this film. But either way, point is, it's like, it's not, it's crossing the boundaries of separating art from the artist. Because obviously there there is valid I think there are valid uh, arguments to be made for certain films and filmmakers where you could do that, um, but in this case I don't think you can make a valid argument for separating the film from the filmmaker because there's too much of his own um, experiences 
and thrown into this film that it like becomes a beast of his own um making where he's not becoming objective it's not like uh from an objective perspective where he his own like um his own um biases are Tainting the 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 nuance of the film. There you go. There we go. Yeah. Heck yeah. Yeah. Number two. But I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. It. I. I get that. I mean, that makes sense. With it being, you. I mean, I think you. Who is it? It was either you or Judah who recommended that I take a look before it left. It was Judah. Um, yeah. I did not take a look. Needless to yeah, say. Yeah, you're not you're not you're not really missing much. Hooray. Sweet. Cool. Okay. Yeah. I feel better about that now. <laughs> but uh number two for me. And the second appearance of this director in my bottom five. I gotta learn my lesson. I just gotta stop seeing his movies. Andrew Dominic's Blonde. Oh from this year. I you know <laughs> This was again an awards study for Ana de Armas. I believe when I saw this back in February, I rated this one star, and the one star was solely for Ana de Armas's performance because I could find nothing of merit, substance, or benefit from watching that movie because it is basically just every horrible thing to happen to Marilyn Monroe put into a film. It doesn't say I did. It doesn't to me. It doesn't say anything about her experience, what she meant to the country, what she meant for pop culture. It doesn't say anything about you know hidden lives. It's it's not. I don't believe it's artfully done with the way that he uses color and tragedy. It's just and and not to mention the fact that it's based on a book that is not. It it's a fictional story about Marilyn Monroe's life. It's not based on a biography. This isn't a biopic. This is fiction about the worst moments in an American icon's life. And it's... Uh, it, I, I'm surprised I made it. It's three hours. I don't know why I did that to myself. It's three hours? Yeah, it is. Three hours? Oh, yeah. I think it's right on the money, three hours. Dang, three hours? It was... That sounds ooh, rough. That sounds rough. Yeah. Ah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I, was, I was overstating it. It's two hours and 46 minutes. Oh, that's close enough. That's close enough. Yeah. It was... Oh, that's boy. still very I, long. That's still long. I did not enjoy any moment of that. But yeah, that's my number two. Yeah. I, I just got to stop watching Andrew Dominic films, I think. <laughs> two two in the bottom five this year a year where oh, i watched man. 73 new films that's rough Ooh. that's rough yeah uh, but you're still wrong about um assassination of cj <laughs> love you too christian or, i'm just yeah, kidding i don't even kidding. know your name i'm just kidding um all right my number two, also another, well, it's actually a documentary. It's not a docu series. 
Um, this this when I saw a trailer for it on HBO Max looked very interesting. It was a uh, it's present to our lives because well mm, not as much as the people involved in the actual film, but we are observers of this ritualistic gathering that happens every year the start of a college college year and we're talking about rush rushing for sororities but this this documentary specifically titled bama rush was a stinker this sucked this there was nothing good about this i'm telling you right now don't go watch this do not don't waste your time it's how long is this i forgot uh about like hour and hour and 40 minutes yeah don't don't waste your time it's 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 really not worth your time basically the filmmaker the documentarian rachel fleet she turns a very fascinating subject could go full-on investigative journalist angle on this and like really dive into the history of alabama university like sorority and fraternity society and like the um like the secret society that like runs the school or whatever that's that has like select members from frats and sororities in alabama um i forgot the name of that that organization that's all mentioned in the film but it's never actually kind of fleshed out she just says she the film just goes like hey this exists all right, let's just move on. And then she makes the documentary about her and her having alopecia, which I was like, am I watching a documentary about you having alopecia or about this experience for high school seniors then becoming college freshmen trying to rush and getting to sororities and like the potential, you know, the the vast the vast ramifications on a societal level that that entails the humiliation that is involved the misogynistic undertones the racist undertones most definitely the racist undertones that are very present there given that it's one it's in alabama two these sororities are all white you know all these sororities are white i mean there's that um and it's like dude you had all this great material that you can make a fantastic documentary about make it very informative but no she dropped the ball like so hard so hard this this documentary sucked this was bad bad man i, I might have put this in number one i don't know we'll get to number one let's see we'll see we'll get there but uh <laughs> For me, my number one, oh, what a story this is. I made a special I made a special trip to see this movie. I made a trip to Pittsburgh to see this movie. I mean and I mean it didn't help that I was seeing it immediately after Anatomy of a Fall. Uh it did not help that I saw it immediately after, but oh god, there could have been so many things better about my number one worst movie of the year that I saw for the first time, and hopefully the only time. Uh, that would be Dick's the Musical. That was... 
Okay, I I say this with the most polite respect that I possibly can. That that movie is very gay, in the sense that there is a lot of gay sex on screen. <laughs> there, uh, mostly featuring twin brothers going at it. Great. Huh? Um. Excuse yep. me. Oh yeah, that that's how it ends. It ends with twin brothers getting married. By Bowen Yang from SNL. What? Yep. Oh you know boy. Got, you know they got Nathan Lane to do this movie? They got Nathan Lane to spit ham into tiny little puppet creatures' mouths. The first, I don't know, the first like ten minutes of this is okay. It's actually pretty okay. Yeah. But then it just gets weirder and weirder. And weirder and weirder. And by the time Megan the Stallion has her song, which noted is not that far into the movie, uh-huh. it's atrocious. And you know, this is my that was my actually moment that I realized I need to stop listening to Megan the Stallion <laughs> because I was sick of it and I wanted to cry just a little bit. Mm. But mm. oh boy, it does not get better. Actually, you know, Nick Offerman makes a cameo in that movie. Megan Mullally is in this movie. Like they got people. It's just horrific. <laughs> and yeah, I I really felt great about having made a trip, especially to see that movie. Dang. Well, hey. It is what it is. I'm surprised that's your number one. I was expecting something different. I said I was well, I wasn't counting this one. I have I have a feeling I know what you're referencing. Ah, uh, yes. Yes, because this is my number one. Yep. That is the masterpiece from the greatest filmmaker of our lifetimes, Neil Breen's Fateful Findings. I mean, I don't even know what to say that hasn't been said already. This guy is a genius. The way he pulls these performances out of these... Out of Clara Landrat, Jennifer Autry. (laughs) No. Yeah, this is the worst movie I've seen probably in my life. That's not an exaggeration. <laughs> oh, dear. However, <laughs> the difference, though, between this and Battle Rush is that I actually had fun watching this. Oh, Whereas with Battle Rush, I didn't really have fun. In fact, I kind of hated it. This, I don't hate it. I actually kind of like it in a way, in a t- very strange and twisted way. Um, but yeah, this was, I mean, it's not even, it's so bad. It's good. It transcends that it goes beyond that. It, it transcends the human, uh, understanding of art criticism and like media literacy. It is such a, it is such a mind-blowing experience to watch. 
Um, yeah, I mean, just go watch it if if you want that. Um, yeah, my it's it's something. Yeah, it's something. My thought process on that was like it's such a clear cut, obvious answer that I want to like make it other stuff because uh, I had a feeling. Like I was like, it's it is in that t- territory. If it's so bad, it's good, uh, and it's like, I it, it can't I that can't be it. Like we, we, it's a whole year of stuff. Plus, we did a whole episode uh, on it. So like, Fanny and Alexander the first time. Yeah, yeah, we still actually got to watch that. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Well, it's coming. It's coming. Yeah, it's coming. It's coming. April first, twenty twenty four. Fanny and Alexander hits your podcasting services. <laughs> Don't worry. It's not another Neil. It's not another Neil Breen this time. <laughs> <laughs> but what if it is? Hmm. Keep you on your toes. Food for thought. All right. Well, that's our bottom five of this year. Let's go on to our top 15 first-time watches. Top 15 I can start do. if you want to start. Yeah, All right. go for it. All right. Um, Let me see. Actually, you start. You start because I need to, like, sparse out what I actually didn't watch for the first time so that yeah. it's accurate. So. Yeah, Tristan's got the full list of everything that he saw this year. All, what is it, 103, 110 100... films? 110. Yeah, including 110. rewatches. All listed yeah, so that on includes, his yeah, that, Well, that includes stuff that I've seen before. Yeah. Before this year. Right. But things that you yeah. saw in this calendar year, 2023. Correct, correct. Yeah. So you can find him on Letterboxd. And, right. and the link is in our Instagram bio. And you can check out the full list and see everything in the middle, where stuff stands, where your favorite movie from the last year maybe sits, maybe where some classics find themselves. For me, uh, I actually put it through like a ranking system because I didn't want to like make it be subjective and like compare a bunch of them and then like have p- movies skyrocketing, jumping three spots when they didn't have to. So, like, uh, my honorable mentions, first to start, movies that were I, I enjoyed, that were good, but that don't quite crack for me, include, but are not limited to, uh, Poison, short film from Wes Anderson, uh, one of the Roald Dahl. It's actually, that's, in my opinion, the best one of the four, and the only one that I think is worth watching. Poison. Uh, other honorable mentions. Any of those? I I recommend Poison. The rest are kind of just a book. The Ratcatcher might be the second one, second yeah. best. But uh, other honorable mentions include The Square and Decision to Leave from South Korea. Amazing cinematography that made it up near the top just because of that. The creativity, the beautiful, beautiful shots in that film. But for 15 on my list, a a movie I wasn't really anticipating to make it this this high is 2023 release Dream Scenario, starring Nick Cage. Oh, nice. Got to see that. 
I, by no means do I think it, it is, you know, perfect. It's not really a laugh out loud comedy. It's not quite a, it, it's more a horror film than it is a comedy, but it's an excellent, excellent satire on fame, the price of fame, what people will do to become famous and, you know, what happens once you are, what kind of person are you? Can you handle fame and everything that comes with it? And it's really quite good. Like, the writing, the images, it's very good. And the ending, I think, kind of sells it for me that puts it in this top five because it, it leaves me thinking just a little bit more of like, is this all fake? What, what, what would we do if we were put in this scenario? And this dream scenario, if you will. Mm. But uh, I was I was a big fan of Dream Scenario this year. Thanks. Um, <clears throat> do your do your fourteenth. I'm trying to figure out Absolutely. whether or not I saw this last year or not. Hold on, sorry. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, if we're gonna move on to fourteen, we're gonna move to the country of Japan. Where in Japan? I don't know where in Japan, but we're going to put up uh, Hayao Miyazaki's final film, The Boy and the Heron, as number 14, a movie that is two hours long, that I sat through beautiful animation and didn't get it. And then as soon as the credits start rolling, I started to cry, and I didn't really know why. But it's the, I mean, it's just beautiful. The idea of dealing with loss and grief, moving on, moving forward, growth, the idea of what, what to do with your art. I mean, it was stunning. I, I mean, Absolutely. It, I, for 99% of that movie, I, I wasn't thinking it was anything special. And then it hit me like a ton of bricks, which is just absolutely skillful way to end out on a high note for for Miyazaki. I mean, it was incredible. I, ooh, I had to marinate for a little bit after after sitting through that. Awesome. Well, yeah, that was a great film. I loved it. Top. It's in my top ten of the um, twenty twenty three releases. Heck yeah. But not in my top not in my top fifteen though of what I've seen all year. So just missed out. But um starting with me though, uh I do wanna make an honorable and special mention. This is not a film, it's a, a TV limited TV series only for one season. Uh, Chernobyl. This would have been at the number twelve spot, but since it's not a film, I'm not gonna classify it as one. It's just like, you know, its own thing. But um, I just want to sh shout that that out. Um, definitely go watch it. Very powerful, and very depressing. So you know, beware, brace yourselves. It's about the uh, Chernobyl disaster back in the eighties. Um, but anyways, my number fifteen spot though goes to um the directorial debut from Charlotte Wells after Sun. 
Uh, this was a film that we actually reviewed earlier in the year, I think in January. Um, I mean, man, what a very, what a powerful film. I mean, I, I loved every second of this. This was extremely uh, poignant and, and such a, such a heartbreaking movie as well um, about fatherhood and um, depression and, um, and like, memories um especially you know obviously from the daughter's perspective and her not seeing her father anymore and trying to like grapple with who he was and try to understand kind of what he did and why he did it you know and the only way she, the only thing she had of him of him was the last you know all the footage that he had of when they were on vacation for the last time Man, what a very, it's such a, man, what a great film. Um, and then my number 14 uh, goes to Princess Mononoke from Ooh. Hayao Miyazaki. Uh, absolutely adored this. This was amazing in every sense of the word. So, I mean, it, it comes with the territory, obviously, when you're watching one of his films. I mean, it's such an inventive and creative and such a fully realized world in every single one of his films. It's amazing how he can do that uh, so consistently over the course of his career. Um, and in this one specifically, I mean, he 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 crafts such a wonderful um, and loving world. I mean, it's I mean, it's a film about the environment and and um, well, I guess that's kind of reducing it, but. I guess it's a, I forget what the, the conclusion we came to in our episode, but I think it was something about like, you know, us learning, you know, humans learning to like love one another and not, and not be, uh, not be so spiteful with one another. I don't know. I think that was kind of like the gist of the film, but <clears throat> regardless, uh, it, it was very beautiful. Uh, I loved it. It's one of my favorite uh, Miyazaki films that I've ever seen. And um, yeah, that was my number 14. Beautiful. Beautiful. I'm a little surprised Princess Mononoke didn't make it up as high as that one. And I'll be honest, After Sun, and I'm going to save you kind of the shock and awe, After Sun did not make my list. But <sighs> No. <laughs> I think part of that I think part of that is just due to me not fully getting it the first time, but then getting it afterwards. It is truly an astonishingly good debut. Oh, yeah. And it's a great, mm -hmm. great movie. Um but we're actually for my number thirteen, we're gonna stay in Japan because why not, right? Gotta take a little vacation, gotta stay there. Uh my number thirteen from Akira Kurosawa is Ikaru. I mean, it was that the face of that sad old man can break me any day of the week. He's just got that look in his eyes. The character's name, Watanabe. He just got, has that look in his eyes that makes me want to cry. It, there's so much weight. There's so much emotion of a wasted life just within a facial expression it's incredible and and the sentiment and how it how it's carried out to uh 
you know, and to have each of us live a meaningful life. Um, honestly, like I can't say much more good about it because then I'd just be talking about the entire thing and it's long. So to save you all the time, we did an episode on it, but it's incredible. Oh, it's so good. Oh yeah. Masterpiece. My number 13 spot goes to a classic English filmmaker duo, Emmerich Pressburger and Michael Powell. This is actually the first film that I've seen of theirs. And I know they're highly respected um, filmmakers in the, in, the, in the film community. Um, I think they're both dead now, but... The film I'm talking about, those are most famous, arguably, The Red Shoes, uh, about a ballerina who's caught in a love triangle um, between her boss and... Um, I forget... Oh, no, 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 not a love triangle. I'm mistaken. She's torn between pursuing her career as a ballerina with her boss hanging over her constantly throughout the film or leaving that behind and pursuing her love life uh, with, you know, the love of her life. Um, It's, man, it's such a a brilliant um, drama with... One of the best performances I've seen uh, in my life from Moira Shira. Um, she's absolutely brilliant as Vicky Page. And the film contains, I think it's like 20 minutes long or something like that. But it contains the entire ballet. Well, a portion of the ballet where she gets the role of the Red Shoes, which is like... Um, I guess the most coveted role in this specific company or like ballet play thing, whatever you want to call it. Um, And, you know, she's extremely successful and all that, but that specific sequence where we we just strictly are watching her perform a ballet is one of the most um, engrossing like film sequences you'll ever watch. I mean, it's it's such a beautiful piece of art. Um, and it has one of the most tragic endings uh, that I've ever seen. <laughs> that's for sure. Um, so yeah, The Red Shoes, uh, classic, absolute classic. Loved it. I remember you talking about this when you first saw it. Most yeah. Loved it, highly regarded. Yes. Heck yeah. So number 12 for me. I mean, it did come out this year. And it I, I feel like it was going to be on here somewhere. I made sure to do my homework, a little bit of rewatching, and make sure it was actually deserving of being here. And I was crying in my bed this morning. So, uh, yeah, it was worth it. It's, it deserves to be here. Uh, number 12 is Barbie. Oh, I, I think there's so much, I'll be honest with you. I was kind of zoning a little bit when I saw it the first time. So I missed a lot of the, uh, I guess, emotional crux and the, the, the point behind the whole thing and going back through it and, and taking in a bunch of the tiny, tiny scenes 
how a bunch of the uh, interactions play out. The I not not just the idea of what Barbie means is like a symbol, but the idea of no matter who you are, Barbie or Ken or Alan or Midge, is to find yourself. You're not determined. Your 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 self worth and your personhood is not determined by your girlfriend or your job or your you know car you're not just president barbie you're not just beach ken you there's a whole person behind you and it's up to you to figure that out and i think that that's beautiful the song from billy eilish and phineas what was i made for is spectacular in 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 all honesty and the idea of it being just this mother-daughter progress growth coming of age movie in a way which as we hopefully know through a year of this over a year of this is my bread and butter i can get behind a good coming of age story mm-hmm. so uh i mean it, it, barbie makes it for me that, that that's just how it is everyone in my family saw it everyone in my family didn't like it except me <laughs> really <laughs> yeah my Dude, mom saw sad. it twice my mom saw it twice. She didn't like it. My sister saw it. Yeah. Uh, my dad saw it and didn't love it. Um, I think my aunt saw it. I don't think she liked it. Dang. Dang. Oh, no, shame. she didn't saw it. She didn't see it, but she doesn't want to. Oh, I see. Weird. I don't know what to do with them. It's trade them okay. in, I guess. Yeah, trade them. <laughs> trade them in, I guess. It's a while. Um, all right. My number 12 goes to the extremely stylized, very unique, um, and enigmatic, uh, Wong Kar Wai with Fallen Angels. Yes, yes, Fallen Angels. I mean, oh my gosh, I, I cannot gush over this film enough. Oh my goodness. I wish, I wish... I wish, dude, that I had the same feeling that I do for this film, uh, for In the Mood for Love and Chunking Express. But I don't know what it is with this one. Maybe it's just the vibe, the fact that everything is shot at night or, like, the character is a hitman and, like, that kind of weirdly um, kind of odd romance that's going on and like this nomadic kind of aura that these characters embody it's just oh my gosh i can't i can't, like the visuals it's just so ingrained in my brain like how this film looks it's such a unique um looking film obviously you know there's that stylistic trademarks that are in all most of his films with the you know him playing with like slow motion and uh the the other things with the camera i don't know what you would call it like shutter rate or something like that but lenses you know yeah those those effects that you see in the film are you know are there but it's like i don't know man there's something about it that really takes it over the top um over his other works that i've seen but yeah fallen angels great great film must watch must watch 
Agreed. And then listen to our episode on it. Episode 25, Fallen Angels. Yes. Yes. You can go and find that. It's there. Number 11 for me was another rewatch just to make sure it was worth it. And, <laughs> oh yeah, it is. Again, it is worth it. Because um, I saw it in theaters back in May, and I was kind of blown away buy it but i also think that you know was part of it just the cool concept that kept it in no it's a really really solid story about power uh what it is to love and be loved what what makes a good corporate executive i guess and also um why do you not let or why rather why should you let sex workers into your life uh number 11 is sanctuary this was a, Ooh. I know you heard me talk about this a lot. This yes, was like a, yeah. I think it was a 2022 release starring Christopher Abbott and Margaret Qualley. And that's it. It is their two characters in a hotel room over the course of one night. No changing of location. Well, I mean, if you mean by changing of location, it changes location from the room to the hallway outside the room to the elevator. That's it. Doesn't leave. It's spectacularly well-written because every single one of both of these, well, I shouldn't say every single one. There's two of them. Both of these characters are so well-written that each of them have secrets. Each of them have desires and wants, and each of them, you know, go to the extreme to basically beat the other because all this is is Christopher Abbott, Hal, is about to take over his father's hotel chain and he's looking to break off his relationship with a dominatrix. And that's it. Yeah. But it turns into this beautiful thing of love, of compassion, what makes a good corporate executive again. And, uh, you know, what again, like what are people made for? What works best for you? Would you shove somebody who's not meant for it, doesn't want to be there, into a job that they don't want to do? Or would you look for, you know, a better solution? Because you can. And I, I, I'm impressed. And it's on Hulu now, and I'm very happy about that. I wasn't sure if it was ever going to appear anywhere for me to see. But it's, it's great. I loved it. Yeah, you gotta watch that. Alright. My number 11 goes to um, Sidney LeMay's Network. This is also another classic uh, from the 70s. This film has the very famous line of, you know, um, if you're mad as hell, I'm mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. That line. I don't know if you've heard that before, but... I think I have. Um, yeah, it's, it's a film about uh, this uh, news anchor who's planning to retire with a bang because he wants to commit suicide on air. And the network executives are like, ooh, let's let's try to milk this out. And um, basically, the guy goes on various rants over the course of several different broadcasts. And then it becomes a national sensation, so he doesn't end up committing suicide. He then now, his show is now like him ranting about capitalism and 
and like American politics and how the how the the the, the very systems kind of suck in America and it's such a god it's such a brilliant like social commentary and satire that unfortunately is still relevant to this day um as is with a lot of these great american films that um uh commentate on american society uh and its systems uh yeah it's from the 70s and it's still very relevant if not more today than it was then so yeah that's all i gotta say uh incredible incredible film heck yeah uh my number 10 my number 10 uh which i i hope gets the recognition it deserves in america uh not from film lovers but from a more general population because it is really really impressively good uh just because it's not that country's nomination uh or pick for the academy awards in foreign language film so uh it won't be nominated for an oscar but it's a palm d'or winner it's anatomy of a fall from justine Triet. Yes. it's an incredible incredible courtroom drama that doesn't let up the entire time there's a beautiful like 15 minute scene of a fight that is, again, we, we see it, but then we're taken out of it, just like we're a juror in the court listening to it and forced to make our own conclusions. It's probably, I think that's the best out of many, many great scenes in that movie. I hope it gets more recognition over here um, because it really is deserving of that top prize and a lot more. But it's nominated for the Golden Globes, so we'll see. But, like, it's, it's incredibly solid. And I, you know, there's not much more to say except she didn't do it. <laughs> oh, okay. We disagree. <laughs> no, of course, uh, you know, maybe it was the uh, dread of Dicks the Musical coming afterwards that maybe oh, makes me think my... that. <laughs> no human would ever live in a world knowing that this that movie exists. Oh boy, no, I think you're right on that one. Um, my beginning with my top ten. This is from a brilliant and frankly, I think he's kind of underrated uh, American filmmaker who's made many masterpieces in my opinion. This is one of them. Um, Spike Lee's Bamboozled. This film, I don't know if many people know about it, considering. Well, for one, I don't think it was really shown in theaters for that long due to its content. Um, and it was shot on mini-DV, I believe, or uh, like some type of tape. Uh, I forget which. It was like a digital film. But Bamboozled is about these two, uh, these two black uh, gentlemen who are impoverished, <clears throat> but they're like kind of a duo. They go out busking on the streets. Uh, one of them tap dances, and the other guy, like, I think uh, beatboxes or something, or he's like a hype man. Um, and they know somebody who works at a network TV station. Uh, or, yeah, and the guy 
he's like a higher up. His name is Pierre Delacroix. He's played by Damon Wayans, and he has this very uh, ex- ex- <laughs> exaggerated and like super ridiculous French accent that he kind of puts on um, uh, to like appear less black. Because the film is a, it's about um, racism in media. I mean, this film is extremely layered. Uh, it's it's kind of hard to describe in such a short amount of time of how uh, incredibly brilliant and genius the critique is on on uh, like how deep like white supremacy kind of permeates through various different uh, systems, uh, but specifically in this film about culture and the way that like black culture is kind of commodified um, to such a ridiculous extent. And basically these two dudes, they go on to a minstrel show and they put on blackface and they do like they basically reenact like these minstrel shows from the early early twentieth century. Uh, it, it's it's a very uncomfortable watch, but it's a very necessary watch. I think every American needs to watch this film before they die. Um, it's it's very important what Spike Lee is saying, and frankly, ahead of his time to be honest, because it came out in like two thousand three, I think. Um, but yeah, or 2000, actually 2000. Yeah. Brilliant, brilliant film. Um, yeah. Bamboozled. I cannot recommend that enough. Seriously. I cannot. Valid. It looks, I, I, I was reading a little bit while you were talking about it. It looks really impressive. Uh, kind of scary satire there. But uh, yeah. my number nine, my number nine, I'm not going to spend too much time on it because I gushed over how much I loved this and how good I thought it was on an episode of the podcast earlier this year, um, just in the fall. So no, my number nine is City of God, Oh, uh, Brazil. It's, I mean, it's everything I could ever ask for in a movie. I love how it works i love how it is i love how it be um that's really it i mean especially you know talk a lot about the police and about you know the circle of poverty and how that works within the film and how you know devastating it is and the actual episode but it makes it makes my top 15 at number nine and i'm very happy it did that right my number nine <clears throat> goes to a man escaped. Um, we talked about this uh, earlier this year. It's from Robert Bresson, a uh, legendary French filmmaker. Uh, I mean, it's subtle. Uh, well, actually, it's not subtle at all. I mean, it's literally like about a guy escaping prison. But it's a very innovative film um, and quite... Uh, pioneering in in several techniques and it's such a, a there is no really time wasting but it's it's interesting how give you know we know the outcome of the film but yet robert bresson he like 
the way he builds the tension in this film is just absolutely incredible. Um, unlike any other, um, very great, very great. So that's my number nine. Valid. Now, for my my top eight, six of my top eight were released in the last two calendar years. Oh wow! Because wow. I got a lo- I got a lot of work done. Uh, Dang. This year in seeing new releases and looking back on it now, based on how much I love city of God, I kind of, it kind of feels dirty. I was shocked. You put it at nine. It, it kind of feels dirty to have this one sitting above it. But I think just because of the impressive effect of sound on the film, the infra- impressive use of color, uh, how I liked that. The real, I guess we'll say star and point of the film wasn't actually the namesake. I have a number eight, Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer. What? I have it above Barbie. I I am too. It feels kind of dirty, but I am so impressed with kind of the fact that you have a film named after somebody who's so relevant and important in American history. And it's not, if we want to be technical, the film's not technically about him. The film's about Robert Downey Jr.'s character as the senator trying to get approval and getting denied his cabinet position. And what true power looks like, what true power feels like, where that comes from. And also, you know, the ability to have the power to eliminate cities and wipe people off the face of the earth it's i i i was i was very i i enjoyed my trip well i could can't say i enjoyed it because you know we were kind of left with the idea of impending dread from nuclear fallout but uh yeah yeah i it was it was great mm. huh. i mean i didn't i thought it was good but not that good I didn't see as many as you. So yeah, we'll yeah. No, no. Although, well, I guess we, we can get to that later. But my number eight pick goes to Park Chan-wook's Old Boy. Now, this is a film that blew up back in, in America when this came out in like 2003, I think, or 2004 or five, something like that. Um, I don't really want to say much about it because I really don't want to spoil it. Because this is a film that you really got to go in blind to really have the most effective watching experience. But oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. It's a wild ride. That's just putting it lightly. Um, Easily his best film. Easily. Of his career. Um, And, you know, it's Park Chan-wook. The guy has made countless, countless... Uh, amazing films and there's some that i haven't even seen yet um you know jsa uh sympathy for lady vengeance uh sympathy for mr vengeance i think is the other name one called stoker uh you know all those other films that i i gotta see of his but yes old boy i think it's on netflix i believe so Go yeah, watch it, everybody. 
If you haven't seen it, go watch it. I I was fortunate enough to see it in theaters because uh, it got a re-release. And I was like, okay, I got to see this in theaters. And man, man, oh man, it was amazing. Heck yeah. I I saw yeah, the trailers for the re-release. I'm just disappointed I didn't make it out to see it. Because again, like his his use of camera angles and and it's just so creative, especially with you know the one that I have seen from him, decision to leave. So like, oh yeah, no this this film yeah. is on a whole other level. Up, yeah, heck yeah. I mean, and I I guess this follows the same path as it did last year in that maybe these aren't the most technically impressive. But they are the films that moved me the most, sat with me the most, mm-hmm. definitely, you know, lived uh, with me and affected me uh, the most. So with that, number seven does go back to January again to India. And RRR makes it just because it's got a little it's got a little bit of everything. It's an impressive three-hour opus, which we, we talked about it in depth, but I feel like the only the only thing that I can really say about it that's new is I watched this movie with my father. My father's not an art film viewer. We started this movie. He's usually passed out on the couch by 10 o'clock. We started this movie at 9 o'clock. It's, it was awake. He stayed up the whole time. He was invested <laughs> He was into it, and I I don't think that 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 has to mean something in that how engaging and how interesting and how you know significant that this is not just that it you know entertains and has graphics out the wazoo stunts out the wazoo, uh it's part musical part comedy part drama part war film, you know, all of that, but it's also you know the incredible story of resistance, national pride for the Indian people, especially underneath the British government. Yeah. I mean, solid all the way around. And it has to get, it has to be up there just to get a little bit more of that pat on the back recognition. Absolutely. Um, yeah, great film. Man, what a lot of fun. It, that was such a fun, it was such a fun movie to watch. Oh yeah, I agree. Yeah, that was so fun. Um, my number seven goes to a film not that fun, but a lot more thought provoking, at least in my opinion. Um, this is Taste of Cherry, from Iranian filmmaker, legendary filmmaker, uh, Abbas Kiarostami. This is a very understated, very subtle film, um, about this man who has you know suicidal ideation, and. He drives a couple of different people and he talks with them. And, you know, throughout the run course of the film, uh, we we come to see. Uh, and basically, it's a film of philosophy and understanding, trying to understand life and what that means uh, to live. A very, very, very understated film, but so, so deliberate, so powerful. I, I loved every second of it. I love films like that, um, where it's very dialogue heavy and there's lots of, you know, in-depth themes and um, 
running about. But yeah, I mean, if you want to hear more thoughts, obviously check out the episode. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, my number six is we're, we're just starting to run of recent releases just based on how much this totally fits my vibe. Um, number six for me is the holdovers. I wanted to see that. I, Oh, it's, it's a movie that I would love and I do. So, you know, take that what you will, but it's this brilliant, brilliant. I mean, everything from the, the film quality, how it was shot. Um, the story is very simple and it's yet still so moving because these three characters that we follow, just three are so fleshed out. They each have secrets. They each have flaws. They each have goals. And it's so well written and delivered that by the way, the holdovers is a Christmas movie and should be on your list every December to watch with your family. (laughs) That one's a must. (laughs) Because it actually is a Christmas movie. Christmas matters in that movie. So, yeah. Yeah. Put that on your plate and eat it. I want to see that so bad. I really want to see that. I couldn't find time to watch it, but... Moving on. My number six pick of the year was a film that came out this year. And I actually just watched it not even that long ago. I watched it last week. Um, this is a film that I first heard about, like, back in, I don't know, when, February or something, um, from English filmmaker Jonathan Glazer, who only has, I think, like, five films over the course of a 30-year career, which is insane. Um, but his previous film before this was Under the Skin, which features Scarlett Johansson, which I haven't seen. I haven't seen any of his films. This is the first one that I've seen of it. It's called the Zone of Interest. Um, it blew me out. It my expectations were blown out of the water. Um, uh, it it's to paint to paint the picture. Basically, what this film is is we we observe the Nazi commandant's family of Auschwitz the you know the most infamous um death camp in all the holocaust he is in charge of running the camp and the operations of it and we watch him and his wife and his children live this idyllic life directly next to the camp and what i mean directly next to the camp i mean literally there is a wall separating their yard and the camp it is one of the most horrifying uh, films you will ever watch. However, we never see, we never get a glimpse of what is going on behind those walls. We only hear and see smoke coming from the trains that pull into the camp or from the crematorium uh, that is burning the bodies. Uh, and it, oh my gosh, it's such a jarring and like unsettling and uh uneasy experience um to watch these people like live in such a they flat out are just like ignoring ignoring um 
the atrocities the the atrocities that they are committing uh um to these people and it's such an essential i think this is a very essential work of art um especially for you know holocaust cinema i mean obviously it's it's a it's a subgenre i guess if you want to call it that or a genre at this point that has had many you know documentaries made about many films made about you know the most famous one being schindler's list from steven spielberg um, but this one takes it in a very different angle from anything that has been made before this um where we explicitly are, are beholding the uh the the man uh who is responsible for you know killing god knows how many people um and oh my gosh it's such a sobering experience but Man is man is it it is necessary to watch I think uh, I I can't really say much other than that um, I think it's a masterpiece um, and the best film of twenty twenty three Wow yeah I haven't gotten the chance it's not been playing in a theater near me so uh yeah sadly unfortunately I think you're gonna have to wait. I think. Yeah. Probably. Rats. Well, that's all right. We'll be talking about it next January. Uh when it yeah, makes hopefully. my list probably. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're gonna open my top five with possibly possibly my most polarizing pick of the episode of the year. Uh this one uh, really could go either way. Because um I know discourse around this film is very divided. Some people hate it, think it's one of the worst of the year. Some people love it, think it's one of the best. I agree with them. I think it's one of the best. Uh, film, uh, mostly, I think it, again, mostly tickles my theater brain just a little bit and makes me enjoy that just a little bit more because that's getting shown on the screen. But it's a play about life. It's a play in which the actor doesn't know what he's actually doing and what his purpose is. And that's the game, isn't it? You have to find out. You have to figure it out. Uh, even in the face of the unknown of, you know, aliens and whatnot. But you have to keep going until you find your purpose. You have to keep playing the game. You have to keep acting your part, regardless of whether or not you know why you're there. And, you know, in, in my number five of the year is Asteroid City from Wes Anderson. What? Wow, okay. That was a... That's a good look. That's a good look from Tristan there. Wow. I, I loved it. I really did because it's this existentialism. It's this idea of we don't know why we're here and yet we must continue to go on. And it's this overwhelming, like the beautiful idea of it's a documentary about a play, but then we watch the entire play on screen take place. Stunning. Love it. A plus. S tier. Um, but the fact that Jason Schwartzman, our lead actor, doesn't understand the motivation of his character purely just this this reflection on us. Not a, we don't understand not I, I think if any of us understand why we're here, we've lived a fulfilling life and don't have to be here anymore. I it's it's that quest for purpose it's that quest for meaning but in the meantime 
doing the best you can. Mm. And I think that it's absolutely beautiful. Nice, nice. Thoughts? Uh, I mean, I, I'm genuinely shocked. I didn't think that would be that high for you, but um, I I need to rewatch that because when I watched it for the first time, well, for one, I was kind of falling asleep, so that's on me. But two, when I was awake, I kind of was—I don't know—I wasn't really wasn't really clicking with me. It wasn't sticking. Uh, the ideas that Wes was throwing out there—I don't know. I I guess it was just kind of going over my head, unfortunately. And also, too, I mean, I, I kind of had a critique with the number of A-list stars that, you know, he has, like, this very large ensemble cast that he's been doing to the nth degree since, um, I don't know, since, like, Isle of Dogs. Oh, the Roy Royal Tenenbaums or Bottle Rocket. Oh, well, yeah, Royal Tenenbaums, I suppose. You could say the but whole I think thing that's is... I think that's one of his most focused and best films, though. Um, that's fair. I don't know. That's fair. I, I didn't really, I don't know. I didn't really... Wasn't that impressed by Asteroid City again? I need to rewatch it, which is yeah. a shame. I mean, I like Wes Anderson. I I love his films. Uh, I love Fantastic Mr. Fox. It's literally one of my all time favorite movies ever. Um, but I don't know. I, I gotta rewatch I, it. I just asked because I saw the whites of your eyes when I said the name of the movie, and I you know I just thought you know there should be a little bit of discourse on that. <laughs> <laughs> I saw your whole yeah. eyeball. It nearly came out of your skull. It was great. <laughs> um, my number five, though, goes to um, Igmar Bergman's Autumn Sonata. We talked about this. We hashed it out, I think, pretty well in, in our episode. But, yeah. I mean, oh my god, wow. <laughs> That's all I gotta say is wow. Powerful performances, incredible writing. I mean, dang. Bergman was... He was feeling sad. Really sad. And very yeah. angry when he wrote this. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> I mean, probably true, but... Yeah. Yeah, Autumn Sonata, number five, masterpiece. Well done. Number four, another 2023 release. We're going to just keep stacking them up as we go. Uh, but again, it's just, this is, it's me. It's me. I mean, come on. Uh, number four for me is a directorial debut. Oh, I believe. I didn't see this. I hope it is. I hope it's a directorial yeah, debut, but it's uh, Celine, oh. Celine Song's Past Lives. Ah, it Dude. feels so nice. I love oh. that now that there's this difference. It's not just podcast episodes. I've seen more. I put some effort in. <laughs> I did the work. <laughs> no, last year it was it was like my list was carried by our episodes it was like you know we had done 10 episodes by that point and nine of them were on the list or something like that so like i feel good good getting off of that a little bit and finding some find some new stuff but past lives incredible um 
the idea of hypotheticals and potential misconnections, soulmates, the whole beautiful, beautiful narrative over 20 years is just that. It's spectacular. Um, and I, I really enjoyed it. And I kind of, again, this was one I just, I had to sit there and marinate in a parking lot for a little bit afterwards. I kind of just, I couldn't, you can't just drive after that. You have to like let that sit with you and you kind of just have to be like, what the hell did I just sit through to get your feelings in order? I'm so, I'm so, so sad that I, I didn't see that this year. I'm so sad. Because that was literally, like, at the top of my list of watch, of, like, okay, I gotta watch this this year. And I missed, I missed my chance to watch it in theaters, dude. I'm kicking rocks over that, dude. So, so mad at myself. So right. Because I, know, It'll I be... know that when I do watch it, I'm gonna be like, oh my gosh. It's like, it's probably gonna be my top five, if not top three of 2023, probably. It's, it's gonna be up there for me. Well, 2023 films that I've seen, like yeah. films that released in the year, not in general, but anyways. That's fair. Yeah. My number four, though, uh, which I was shocked that you put this so low, was City of God. Fair. I mean, oh my goodness. This was, this was crazy. This was a wild yeah. ride. Um yeah uh again i don't really want to say anything other than it's high energy like for its entire runtime it's very creative such a it's just dripping with style and authenticity and and such um uh character and such um like gripping and and raw emotions that are just you know, interlaced into all these characters in the film. Brilliant, brilliant. Uh, yeah, easily one of the best films of the year uh, that I've seen. Uh, and it's going to be in my, uh, well, it's in my top four favorites uh, section on my Letterbox account. Um, but the way that I have it set up is it's the top, the be the top four best films that I've seen for the first time this year or in 2023. So yeah, City of God, number four. I love that. I mean, honestly, yeah, it is incredible. I, 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 I feel is kind of dirty having it that low. My number three, my top three though, heavily locked in. Great, great picks. Uh, ones that I'm so so happy are there, and I got to see. And you know, heck yeah. My number three. Technically released in 2022, but I think it got released in a, in the U.S. It actually wasn't released in the U.S. Sorry, no, it had theatrical debuts in Venice, Italy, and France. It debuted at the Venice Film Festival in 2022, uh, and I saw it back in May. And it's just stunning. It's Limoncita from Emmanuel Crialese. Yes. It's it is 97 minutes long and you just get crushed 
there are so many emotions, there are so many beautiful images, such beautiful dialogue surrounding uh, this 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 family that goes through way more than you'd expect there to be in a 90 minute film like i I, again i was happily rewatching this one to just make sure how high could this go how high should this go um but it's incredible penelope cruz is the mother uh she's basically an expatriate she's been moved for a, a marriage from spain her homeland to italy uh, and her eldest child is undergoing uh, gender dysphoria, uh, biolo- uh, born biologically as a female, but identifying as a male, and wishing, wishing to be called Andrea or Andrew, um, because Andrea is a masculine name in Italian, not in English. In English, it's Andrew. But, uh, oh boy, it's so good it's part musical too there's some there's some good music in there uh, it's i mean the it talks it, you can talk about everything the gender idea the idea of belonging and where do we fit in the idea of uh what it is to be a man what kind of masculine behavior are these kids picking up on when the man in the household uh Penelope Cruz's husband spoiler alert sucks um i mean we'll you find that out very quickly but he he sucks um it's so spectacular this this movie i mean i i can't say enough good things about it i i i saw it and i was like okay that's cool that's fine that was solid and then i keep thinking about it and i keep coming back to it and that's sort of why it makes it all the way up to number three it's impressive it's so good nice good good all right my number three um another another film we watched and talked about (laughs) uh larissa shapitko's the ascent um soviet war anti-war film such a angelic and very otherworldly um uh a film about you know about bravery and about you know doing what's right by your country and by your well less about your i i mean i know we kind of disagreed about this in our episode but i think it's more about doing the right thing uh, by your fellow uh humans your fellow brethren uh fellow man so to speak. But uh yeah, I mean such a powerful film, uh very beautiful. And it's you know amazing to think that, you know, her and her husband both made some of the best anti-war films ever made. Although I think Come and See is better, but it's not as I guess hopeful as this film is. I mean, not to say that this film is hopeful, it's pretty sad too. Um, but Come and See is a lot more depressing and dark, uh, in the way that it tackles, uh, a war. Um, but yes, The Ascent, I mean, majestic film. Loved it. Loved it. Absolutely. 
we're into the top two. And I, when we watched, when we watched this for the uh, podcast, I projected that this would be in my end of year top five. And I'm very pleased to say that it has made it all the way to the number two spot. Um, that is well-deserving best picture winner from Barry Jenkins, Moonlight. Yes. Moonlight is my number two. Again, coming of age, growth of young boy Charon as he is uh, growing up gay and black in a low-income community. How does he grow? How does he build? How does he escape the cycle of poverty? Does he? Who is he and what is he as a man? And what is the definition of being a man? I mean, truly great movie and you know there's so much good stuff again packed into a short amount of time you can have movies that drag on forever and obviously have a lot of detail movies like Limoncita, like moonlight and like my number one pick so much detail so much feeling so much meaning all condensed into a short amount of time so you kind of get that three hour movie feel in an hour and a half and it just hits you over the head it's amazing yeah, Moonlight was great. Yeah, it's a great film. My number two pick goes to a documentary. Uh, best, I think, uh, probably the... Yeah, I think this is the highest rated documentary I've ever seen. At least for me. I mean, um, I don't think I've rated a documentary this high. I think the one previous to this was also a Spike Lee film. Uh, when the levees broke, the Requiem and 4X. This one, while sort of about similar things, it's about O.J. Simpson. This is O.J. Made in America. Um, man, oh man. Uh, this is such a very sprawling, a huge in depth and large and uh, sprawling uh, work from Ezra Edelman. He literally goes and starts from OJ's childhood and tracks his entire life from that point to, you know, current day. But I mean, you know, on the surface, that sounds boring and like, oh, okay, it's OJ Simpson. But what makes it so, so great and so impactful is the way that he uses OJ Simpson as a kind of vehicle for uh, race relations in America in the 20th century and beyond. But more specifically, the 20th century and its repercussions of that into modern-day society, um, our, our, our current existence, I should say. And how OJ is this, like, figurehead for... Uh, he tries to, like, you know, move himself out of black culture out of the black american community and kind of become his own transcendental figure within american culture and how that image is reaches such heights like he's literally one of the most beloved um people in america in like the 60s and the 70s um going from that to the 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 you know 
literally murdering his wife and his wife's, or I should say ex-wife, because I think they were separated at that time. So yeah, ex-wife Nicole, Nicole Brown Simpson. Uh, yeah, he he was not innocent. The guy Allegedly. did it. He did it. He did it. And but the film, the film. Yeah, I mean, oh my gosh, it just the way that Edelman discusses like these various events that happened in Los Angeles, like the the L.A. riots, um, you know, Rodney King, um, uh, various other riots that occurred earlier in like in Compton in like the '60s or the '50s. I think there was one. I forget what it was called. Um, those events and also to um uh, police brutality and most specifically police brutality is kind of like the main kind of thing that is discussed in this film um my goodness is it brilliant is it necessary i mean this when i i i don't throw this out that often i already i know i already did earlier with bamboozled but every American needs to see this, and I, I mean needs to see this. This is a documentary that is essential. This is essential cinema. Um, very powerful. Oh, my. So layered. I mean, absolutely brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Um, yeah, genius. Genius work from Ezra Mattelman. Yeah, I remember you telling me about I, that. I would give it number too. one, but my number one, I I do like a little bit more. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh, we'll see. Ooh. Uh, my number one, I think I knew it was my number one ever since we saw it a long, long time ago. Um, I mean, it it, it it's just guaranteed, uh, and I think hopefully for my reaction, Tristan knows what's coming. But my number one is far and away my number one Wong Kar Wai's Fallen Angels mm -hmm. I everything Tristan said about it is 100% correct and the writing is some of the most beautiful poetic prose I've ever heard or seen or read in my life that is one of the most impactful powerful beautiful loving movies I've ever seen that's number one. There is no debate. There is no room for improvement. That's it. <laughs> That's a great pick for number one. That is, yeah. I I honestly I didn't I didn't really like last year. I kind of had a good idea of what number one would be, but then I was subverted. My expectations were subverted, and you said Coda, and I was shocked. Um, but in this case, I'm not as shocked. <laughs> but I also wasn't expecting Fallen Angels to be at your number one. Really? But yeah. What, what were you expecting, if anything? Did you have an idea? Honestly, I I wasn't. I I really couldn't think of anything that would be number one for you. I I know you. I remember you. It's you know, a lot of the films in your top fifteen. I feel like they could have been number one. I, I had a feeling City of God was going to be number one, the way you talked about it. That's fair. But obviously not. That's number nine. So, But, um... Oof. Yeah. Yeah. But my number one goes to Mikhail Golotazov, Soy Cuba, um, mm. Masterpiece. Did you, did you see this coming? 
Oh, I mean, you saw my list, so of course you saw it. I saw the list. I forgot about it. Oh, okay. Okay, good. (laughs) I just remember seeing Brighter Summer Day up there. Yes, yes. That's my number two spot. But I had seen that before, so. Yeah. But yes, Soy Cuba. I am Cuba. Um, We talked about it earlier this year. Uh, I mean... Oh my gosh, what a moving film. Such a very, like, uniting and powerful work uh, for, you know, of liberation and of unity and, like, for humanity. It's such a, man, it's such a beautiful picture of, like, of, of, you know, the best of of humanity. I mean, obviously, also some of the worst sides of that, too. Um, You know, we see that as well in the film. Um, But what we can do together um to fight you know oppression and um and coming together and, and doing those sorts of things it's it's man and also too on a technical level this is one of those greatest looking films i've ever seen in my life i mean the shots that we see that are pulled off in this thing are insane um especially like the very first shot of the of like the the camera moving down the side of the building inside that like like a uh, sh- you know structure with the holes in it oh my lord brilliant i mean oh my goodness uh yeah i'm definitely going to watch uh i'm going to finish his very small filmography albeit uh, but the cranes are flying letter never sent um got to watch those other two films from from Kalatozov. Brilliant. Brilliant. Loved it. Loved it. Beautiful. Yeah. That is a truly beautiful shot. You're right. Well... But it's to you. Was I? But I said, but it's to you. Um... You said you had a bonus thing you wanted to mention at the end. I do. Okay, so I do want to talk about just very briefly, not too long, but I do want to. Yeah. I there were films that I didn't get to mention because they didn't meet, they didn't hit my top fifteen, but there were films that came out this year, twenty twenty three, that I really want to like kind of give an honorable mention to. Um, starting off with uh, Bottoms from Emma Sel- Seligman. Uh, hilarious, riotous, rowdy uh, teen comedy that came out earlier this year. Um, man, such a fun time I had watching this in the theater with Mackenzie. Great, great time we had. Super funny. Go watch it. Uh, and then I saw The History of the Minnesota Vikings from John Boyce, uh, my boy, out on uh, Secret Base YouTube channel, all for free. You can watch this for free. Um, where he chronicles the history of the Minnesota Vikings in a, I think, seven-part or eight-part, yeah, seven-part documentary series. Doesn't reach, doesn't quite reach the heights of the history of the Seattle Mariners, but is right up there. I mean, it's it's impeccable. Uh, Priscilla, uh, the newest Sofia Coppola film, um, I know you weren't weren't as much as a fan as I was. I, I thought it was really good, and I thought it was another great uh, addition into her her filmography. 
and you know her her thematic kind of or her career and the themes that she deals with you know the the quote-unquote uh women in a gilded cage type type film that she likes to make and priscilla is such a lavish yet so isolating um picture of priscilla presley in um the i forget what the name of the estate is do you know the name of the estate that elvis lived in graceland yeah graceland yeah um and like the you know the film also talks about you know the the price of fame and and you know she was robbed of her innocence i mean she was literally i think 14 when she met elvis and he was like in his late mid 20s something like that yeah yeah, it was pretty bad, very bad. But yeah, Priscilla, great film. Sofia Coppola, great filmmaker. Definitely taking after her dad. I know that. I know a lot of people don't really find her work to be as great as her dad's. I mean, that's kind of a gimme given what her dad has made, but she's still great nonetheless. Anyways, uh, next one is Todd Haynes's May December. Um, this is on Netflix, so, you know, go watch it if you haven't seen it already. But, oh my goodness, what a hilarious film. Um, and such a, like, brilliant satirization of true crime dramas and, like, that big, massive sensation that a lot of people have for these true crime documentaries and docuseries that literally are getting pumped out like it's you know, fireworks on 4th of July. That's how many of those things get pumped out every, like, year. Um, On Netflix, Hulu, you know, HBO Max, whatever streaming service, you know, you you see all those true crime, true crime drama movies, documentaries. May, December, such a brilliant satire of of that type of, like, film. Um, Natalie Portman kills it in her role, Probably is one of her best, if not her best, performance in her career. Um, Julianne Moore does her thing. Uh, very funny. Um, but the subject matter is wild. But that's a gimme, I mean. You know. But anyways, May, December. Wonderful film. Made in my top 10 of uh, 2023. Also, Anatomy of a Fall. Uh, what you said. Same here. Loved it. Uh, Spider-Man. Um, across the Spider-Verse. Very inventive and creative and such a fun watch um, for the animation side of things. Uh, Man, I loved every second of that. I really want to rewatch that. I know it's on Netflix right now, so I got to take advantage for it's taken off the platform. So yeah, definitely that. I'm looking forward to the next one whenever that comes out. Uh, And then The Boy and the Heron. That was, uh, a man, what a moving experience that was watching in theaters. Um, Miyazaki's final film, unfortunately. I mean, he is old, but hey, at least he's calling it quits um, on his own terms. Uh, so he's retiring after this one, uh, or he retired. But yeah, lovely, lovely film. Um, beautiful. And then The Iron Claw. This, this film surprised me the most this year this was a film that at first i was like "Eh, i don't really know if i want to watch this to then i'm like okay i i kind of want to watch this 
And Mackenzie really went, really wanted to watch it, so I was like, all right, let's do it, let's do it. So I watched this recently, and I actually watched it on New Year's Eve. Oh my goodness, oh my goodness, what, dude? When I say this is depressing, this is depressing. Um, but so good. I mean, so good. Um, I, Zach Efron, like. Dude, I don't know where you pulled this performance out of, but oh my god, you, my dude, you got some talent. You gotta utilize that talent, and you gotta, you gotta, you gotta take this this launch pad into a great trajectory. You gotta do a Robert Pattinson, bro. You know he started off with the Twilight films. You know you started off with High School Musical. I know it's two very different things, but dude. I'm telling you, Zach, you gotta take this to a whole other level, bro. Um, man, Iron Claw, what oh, devastating, absolutely devastating, but so good. Oh my goodness, uh, five out of five easily. Um, Poor Things, new one from Yorgos Lanthimos. I know you didn't seem to like it that much. I saw your saw your review on it. That makes me sad, but it is what it is. Um, I loved it. I thought it was wonderful. Such an such a a colorful like looking film. I mean, he he yeah. literally pivots his style in such a one. He does a complete one eighty in his visual style from this to his previous work, The Favorite. Um, and I mean, I think this is his best film as of, of his career, and I don't think that's recency bias. I genuinely think this is the best film so far of his career. Um. So go watch it if you haven't. And then the last one that I wanted to mention that I didn't get to was Killers of the Flower Moon from Martin Scorsese. Um, dude, I mean, this guy, he's like 80-something years old, or he's almost 80. I think he's in like his late 70s. But regardless, I mean, he... He... Oh my gosh, I don't know how he's still making such great films at this late of his this late stage of his career. Um yeah. Uh essential film. Um talking about the Osage um the Osage tribe and the systematic murders of um thousands and thousands of uh Osage members back in the 20s and 30s. Uh, when they struck struck gold in in oil, um, you know, due to them being forced out of their lands, uh, due to the Trail of Tears and Andrew Jackson and you know, all that stuff, um, yeah, brilliant film, amazing performance from uh, Lily Gladstone, um, one of the best of the year. But when we when we come to to the Oscars and stuff, I mean, uh, you know, I'll I'll have my opinions on performances and stuff like that. I'll be more fleshed out. But I just wanted to mention those films really quickly because I think they were worth worth mentioning. Um, so yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, a few that I saw but didn't mention again, just that I you know enjoyed them, but they didn't make the list for whatever reason. Um, Netflix is the sea beast animated film. It's could seem like a kid's film. It's not a how to train your dragon ripoff. It's very good. 
it really does catch you by surprise just a little bit more than you'd expect it to be. It's I think it's worth the watch. Um what else? Uh and Guillermo, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio again, very solid animation. Um beautiful beautiful visual looking film and I again sucker for a musical, but it it works. And then I think the only other one that I feel bad about not mentioning is uh, Stanley Kubrick's 2001 A Space Odyssey, the most amazing, most boring film that maybe exists. It's incredible, (laughs) but it's, oh gosh, you know, you could watch that when you're going to bed and it'll put you out immediately. It's just classical music. It's great. But I mean, it didn't make my top 15, but it's it's incredible. And I feel that you know anything less than you know a four and a half five star rating is doing oh, it a little Lord. bit of a disservice i didn't even i didn't even log that what was i doing i didn't even log it how could you i forgot to log it oh my lord i gotta you do that monster uh, i can't believe i was just oh dang bro but that does it those are the tops yeah. and the lows, the highs and the lows of 2023 coming at you after we had to, you know, take a breath and, you know, let this kind of wash over us. But I feel good. Uh, I've got a goal. I'll see if I can break 100 new movies in 2024. We've already got one, so we're doing great. <sighs> nice. And it was the Iron yeah. Claw, so. <laughs> <laughs> I got a goal of watching 365, or 366. Oh, <laughs> my <kidding>. God. <laughs> uh, yeah, no way. That's not happening. At least 100, though. I, I got to keep that consistent. I got to keep that consistent. At least 100. Yeah. Yeah. But thank you for sticking with us through our cinematic odysseys. Hopefully we're pointing you on your own and, you know, you you come to us and listen to us and hear us jabber on and on and on and get something out of it, some stuff that we haven't heard of. Mm-hmm. Um, Because I know I got some stuff out of you, Tristan, that I didn't know and you didn't tell me about. So now I'm like, ooh, bookmark bamboozled. We'll come back to that. Yes, yes. So, we appreciate you listening. Thank you for listening. Yes, thank you so much. And we'll catch you guys next week. Um, We'll figure out what we're going to watch next week. But um, also, too, you know, for the winner of the the contest that we did for... um, Episode fifty for, in the mood for love. Yes, yes, yes. For episode fifty, I was I was blanking on which film, what episode we did that for. But yeah, um, whoever guessed right, let us know. You know, let us know what the guess is, what your guess is, and see if it's right. But um, yeah, we'll catch you guys next week. Thank you again for listening. I know it's been a long one, so for those that stuck out this entire time, you're real ones, you're real ones, and um. I'll check out you guys. We'll catch you guys soon. Um, this has been the Cinematic Odyssey. Year in Review 2023. Forever.